The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Previously on The Ascent of Board Games. We're here today to talk about boss battlers. 1979, Greg Kostikian. Simulations Publications Incorporated originally came in a goddamn Ziploc bag. The game revels in its minutiae. <laughs> it the game drapes itself in minutiae <laughs> like a multicolored cloak. Next up is a game that no one's heard of. No one will be able to buy. No one will ever find. Oh my god, they re-released it! Let's talk about another game that we've gone on about ad nauseum. And now the thrilling conclusion of Boss Battlers. Too many bones. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this one since we're talking about it at great length. This is a 2017 release from Josh J. Carlson and Adam Carlson, brought up by Chip Theory Games. And this is a game with about a million custom dice. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're each playing uh, Gearlock, which is a sort of a gnome like halfling-y yeah. sort of small creature. And you have a set of dice for your particular character. It's a tactical war game on a very small 4x4 grid. A surprising amount of depth from a very tiny map. And basically, once you go through a certain number of encounters, you will get to the boss. And the boss does a number of things. It first determines the type of creatures you're going to be fighting on the way there. There's sort of a pool of creatures based on the, this monster has orcs and goblins and beasts are the kind of things you'll be fighting. So that determines the pool going there. And then the bosses themselves each have sort of a a unique move set and an individual power die. Or sometimes they have completely different setups for the actual battle. For example, normally when you're you're fighting, everyone's on the board at the same time, you're fighting mm-hmm. all the monsters. I think the first boss you fight, he's like, everyone fights individually. So you put a single oh, yeah, on the map one of the, time. Which like, is oh no. Which is actually one of my least favorite bosses because that's not very interesting when you're not the one and it's also super hard. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, wait, oh, no, what do you mean I can't have my healer on the map right now? <laughs> right, <Crap>. exactly. <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> As we've mentioned before, it's an extremely well-produced game. There is a ton of content out there. We were talking about big boxes before. They recently did a Kickstarter where literally the only thing I got was the enormous storage vault. Yeah. The Trove Chest! Which is, let's be honest, pretty epic. Oh my god, it's amazing, I love it. All the individual trades for the characters are very well designed. You get your racks of dice, your custom counters, everything. It's with magnets embedded in them. It's it's very nicely put together. Wherever you place it, it's going to live there forever. Right, so you exactly. Know, it's exactly. never going to move again because it weighs Much a ton. like my box of Sentinels. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's super well put together. It's a very clever game. There's a ton of characters out now and they all play very differently. Did you read the latest update with the, the four new characters? No. One of them's like a survivalist. As you defeat baddies, he, he sticks them on meat hooks and he makes them into food that you can eat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whoa, this took a dark turn to grief. Some of these are sentient creatures, man. Like, what's going on here? It's delicious. Suddenly, the gearlocks are the dark sun halflings. <laughs> yeah. Where's Toby Hooper when you need him? <laughs> Pretty much any of our episodes from about a year ago, you could probably hear us talking in depth about Too Many Bones. It's a very good game, but like Kingdom Death, it can be a lifestyle game mm-hmm. uh, if you let it. 
I was surprised I was at a game store last week, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. The core box has been reduced in size. It's actually a reasonably sized box now. They took out like the giant insert and like they compressed it into a normal size box. But how do you store all the expansions? You don't? I think it's the two-player version. <laughs> no, no, this is the huh? core set. Yeah, because oh. like, yeah, they huh? had the other one, um, the water one, whatever yeah. it's called. Undertow. Yeah, they had that one next to it. And I was like, whoa, this is the regular core box. It's like normal size now. I'm like, oh man, because like I didn't even recognize it at first. I'm like, hey, this is a box I don't own. And they're like, oh, it's a core box. <laughs> I own all the things in it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is a good one for sure. And the boss is, again, mostly using the same mechanics as the regular fight. Yeah. They do pick up a boss die that's special to that, that determines mm-hmm. their special attack, which yep. is kind of adorable. They do. Uh, there's also an expansion where you build your own boss oh, based God, off yeah, of the right. things you do. I didn't, I didn't wind up getting that one because I don't get this to the table mm-hmm. enough, but there is yeah. kind of a Frankenstein approach yeah. to the boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you defeat certain, I guess, maybe probably 20-point baddies. I don't remember. It's been a while mm-hmm. since I read the rules. As you defeat them... You start slotting their chips, because each of the monsters are represented by a poker chip, a very high-quality, nice mm-hmm, poker mm-hmm. chip, into each of the slots, and at the end of the game, you're going to fight this Frankenstein monster with Amalgam all, of all the things. Yeah, yeah, with all their keywords. You're like, oh, no, <laughs> don't get hardy in there. <laughs> Just whatever you do, don't put that in there. <laughs> but yeah, so they play around with a lot. Like, they've gotten a lot of mileage out of the game. I'm really shocked. Have they announced that this last expansion is the last one? So they've announced that it's the last big thing they're planning on yeah, doing. Okay. They have not closed off the possibility of doing anything else in addition to it, so I mm-hmm. assume that means more gear loss. They're working on a new style game that's more of a fantasy campaign theme version that's more campaign-centric oh, and boy. more traditional fantasy. And hmm. I need more games. <laughs> I was going to say, we need some more campaign games. Yeah, yeah. clearly we don't oh, have enough yeah. long-term campaign Maybe games. Maybe if it'd be around on. the 100-hour mark, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, Tony Bones. Yep. By Chip 3 Games. Next up would be another big Kickstarter-y thing. Simon. Oh, but uh, Cthulhu Death May Die 2019. Rob Davio and Eric Lang, like two really good designers. Rockstar pairing. And Cthulhu Death May Die pretty much wins the I'm a boss, freaking (laughs) boss, with a two-foot-high Cthulhu miniature (laughs) that, in fact, is the board for one scenario. So you spend $200 for this really awesome Cthulhu mini that isn't a mini anymore but also is the ground terrain and everything for that boss battle no no, no. you're spending two hundred dollars for that as a decorative conversation piece <laughs> well, you yeah, occasionally yeah. use it in a game <laughs> yeah this is one that does not fit on a shelf it's nope. <laughs> like on your dining room table as a centerpiece or top of the shelf to you know uh, yeah. even then yeah. it should at least have its hand up raised so you could put a pizza on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> Cthulhu served you pizza. <laughs> but in Cthulhu Death May Die, you basically choose a scenario, which gives you kind of the setup premise and, you know, what the minions of the boss are doing. And then you choose a boss, mix the bits together from those two boxes, and they all come in separate boxes, and then go. So each has a, you know, one from column A, one from column B kind of setup for each game. No campaigns, nothing fancy like this. And you move around mini, fight the cultists and everything. And the way the game's structured is that if you fail to stop, if you fail to like destroy the cultist or fail to get at least the first part, you lose. But it's always assumed that at some point the cultists summon the monster. And so you always must fight the monster. At this point, he begins, basically gets his own boss deck that comes in, you know, obviously the boss type. A glorious, gigantic, 
four to six inch tall critter and you end up fighting him using somewhat similar mechanics, but not always because they're phased. Okay. And so not much to say, though. The game's fairly simple. Overall, plays surprisingly fast for the two phase, you know, an hour, an hour and a half. And it's a dice chucker kind of. It's the a Simon dice it's a chucker. C- what? It's a Simon <laughs> dice chuckery mini kill the things. Mm-hmm. There's some nice mechanics behind it. You know, you can tell where the Eric Lang is mm. in that. <laughs> and all the story parts are definitely Rob Davio. So the way that things are sewn together is very Rob Davio, and some of the backgrounds and events that happen because the event decks are also shuffled together from both sets. Isn't there a mechanic where like your characters go crazy and they get more power or something? And they get more powerful until they become too... Too crazy? crazy. (laughs) Gotta ride the edge, man. Yeah. You know, I saw that Cthulhu miniature in our friendly local game store, and I, just by looking at it, did not realize that it was actually a play piece. I thought it was just one of those gratuitous... Here's a miniature I mean, because we have to have miniatures in our... Uh... Mostly it was. Yeah. They just made a scenario with enough little spot to stand on for the... And there's a rely scenario yeah. where you've, you know, stepped onto the island with the sailors mm-hmm. and are getting ready to ram a steamship into that sucker. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. Sure. Like, like it's Ursula at the end of... Pretty <laughs> much. That's what happened in Call of Cthulhu, so... Yep. Lovecraft did it first. That's cute. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So that was at least an overview. Uh, the details are typical Simon, so nothing huge. But that was Cthulhu, Death May Die. Much more interesting to me is Sanctum. Sanctum. Czech Games Editions, a publisher. A Philip Neduck, who gave us first-person shootery game. That's kind of a Euro first-person shooter. What? Whose name I have completely forgotten. Frank. And uh, it's the only first person shooter game Olaf I know. Was his co-designer? Adrenaline. Adrenaline. Oh, thank okay. you. Yeah, which is a surprisingly cute Euro first person shooter. Sanctum is kind of a somewhat Euro-y action centric version of Diablo. <laughs> and if you can imagine your Diablo game, you know what happens at the end of Diablo. And yeah, basically you're building up your character to fight Diablo. It's a competitive game. Basically, you've got a big old track with a bunch of boards. And the basic mechanic is that you roll dice and you have to, in order to defeat a small minion creature or whatever, you have to play those exact dice. If he's got a four and a three, you must put a four and a three down on his card and he dies. (laughs) And then your entire character elaborate skill tree with branching skills and everything how to manipulate dice okay (laughs) and so it's a game about manipulating dice juggling your various equipment that you get from killing things because on the back of everything you kill is a loot card (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's colored for specific types and everything uh no there's not rare Uh, there is they do get better as you kill bigger things so there's kind of a rarity there's skill trees and leveling up in certain things there's slotting runes you have to get runes into your items to be able to equip them etc and it, it really is diablo based on this kind of simple okay i need a four and a three to put on this guy mm-hmm. when you get to the boss the game changes completely you kind of wait around for everyone to get to the boss a couple things happen first of all a new card comes up that makes the boss do something kind of nasty to the latecomers. There's also a card that does something nasty to everyone Mm. just to get you started for the boss. (laughs) So the actual object of this game is to A, survive the boss, in which case you can consider that at least partial victory. But 
the real winner is the one who's lost the fewest hit points while fighting the boss. Oh, interesting. Mm. So it's not the person who lands the last blow. It's who has the least damage at the who end has the least fight. damage. You fight the boss separately, which oh, is a little weird. weird. Mm. Yeah, totally. And basically what you do is you lay out 10 cards for the boss. Actually, each person lays out 10 different cards for the boss on their character sheet. Mm-hmm. And you have to fight through them one through 10 with them doing, you know, a ton of damage in between every time you run out of dice and can spend. So it's really an expansion of this, except that you're having to juggle because the cards are face down. It's like, do I want to finish and turn that card over because it'll damage me Mm -hmm. or do I stop here? But also, whereas it's fairly easy to fight the minions and take a little damage, you generally don't take much damage. You soak it with your armor. Mm -hmm. But after that first turn or two with the boss you don't have any armor left right <laughs> and so you're basically the entire game is struggling for this elaborate fight that's going to take four or five rounds that you're probably not going to survive because <laughs> at least half the people are going to die oh. and maybe one person will <laughs> come we'll through, through with a, yeah. a scattering of hit points left <laughs> or two or whatever yeah she's yeah. interesting yeah there's a lot of expansions to that one too isn't there sanctum no just oh. a game. I'm thinking of Sanctuary. There's some game that's like that, that has like crap load of expansions, but... Sanctuary. Eh. There is no Sanctuary. But yeah, it sounds interesting. I was never a big Diablo guy, but... And this one involves dice. <laughs> it's just not my thing, Frank. I don't dislike Diablo. It's just not for me. Yeah, just okay. tell him it's based off the anime. He'll yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah, it, Diablo, I mean, even the final boss looks like Diablo. <laughs> it's just obvious. Similar to, but legally distinct from. Yeah, totally. The boss's name is El Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Old Liab or whatever, yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to another clear <laughs> video game reference. A game called Skull Hollow, released in 2019 by Eduardo Baraf, Seth Johnson, and Keith Mateshka from Pencil First Games. So who here has played Shadow of the Colossus? I certainly have. Yeah. yeah. I never owned a PlayStation, but I'm familiar with the game. One of the very early video game boss battlers. So yes. Bad. Yeah. I, I think it's the one kind of put it on the map, honestly. And essentially, that's what this game is modeling. Instead of playing a really, really sad hero and his horse trying to <laughs> resurrect his dead girlfriend, one player is playing a group of what they call foxen, which are like cutesy humanoid fox people. And one person is playing what they call a guardian, which is an odd choice for a name for a bad guy, but a giant He's titan. not a bad guy. He's being attacked by all of these tiny people. He just wants to be left alone to live his life in peace. To guard something. Does he? <laughs> to guard something that's unspecified. Mm-hmm. So it's only a two-player game. You play on a, oddly, a, like a diamond-shaped board, so it's a square turned 45 degrees. And the goal of the foxen is to kill the guardian. The goal of the guardian is either to kill the head of the foxen, the king, Mm-hmm. Or each of the guardians, there's like five or six of them, have their own unique win conditions that vary per guardian. Both characters are going to be playing a certain number of actions, and the number of actions is limited based on who they're playing as. A fox and have a certain number, and each of the guardians have a certain amount that might be modified by, like, for example, I think the first guardian, if he's up to a lot of damage, he gets an extra action he can play each turn. You play the, the cards from your hand, you do things like, if you're the foxen, you can summon more foxen, so... The longer the game goes on, you typically have more troops on the, on the map to start doing stuff. They can jump from the ground to a certain location on that actual guardian. Like his feet, then his, his waist, yes, then his yeah. head. It, yeah. it, it, it's all staggered. So you go from the ground to his legs and then from his legs to his torso and higher and higher. So you can do damage to different locations. You can do melee attacks, which you have to be literally on the titan. The, sorry, not the titan, on the guardian to do. Or you can do ranged attacks from mm-hmm. the ground. Or you can prepare, which is like draw more cards so that you have a better action selection. 
And essentially, the fox hunters are just trying to crawl up this poor guardian and stab him in all the places. And each of the locations has a certain amount of health, and each one of them is tied to one of the actions that the guardian can take. So if you stab his legs a whole bunch, you might remove, reduce like his movement ability, or you might be able to take out his ability to remove people from his body. Meanwhile, when the Guardian goes, he's also playing cards, and he has certain abilities that are tied to the different locations. So like, if you take out his arm, for example, maybe he doesn't have the throw ability where he can remove a foxen from his body. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of strategy from both sides as to which sides are you trying to damage, which sides are you trying to heal, because the Guardian can heal with certain cards. And it's really just kind of a battling each other until one of the win conditions is hit. It's kind of interesting. It kind of feels like claustrophobia, where the Foxen get more powerful as the game goes on, because you have more troops on the map over time. And the Colossus, damn it, not Colossus, the Guardian, <laughs> the Guardian starts with as much capability as he has. And as he starts taking damage, his options get reduced over time. Yeah. So it's kind of a race for both of the sides mm-hmm. to try and get to where they're the most powerful and get their win condition. It's a fun game. I like it. I'd say the most challenging part of it is because that board is shifted like 45 degrees. I find that when I try and play with people, they don't understand how the movement works and they move to the wrong spots. I played this with Courtney and he really struggled with it. And I get it. Like, it's basically you're always moving it diagonal. So it throws people because almost every game you're like, not diagonal. You can't move diagonally. So it throws them. But uh, I like it. It's a cute game. It's got some interesting options. I have yet to play through all the Guardians, but they feel very different. Yeah, no, I like it. It's fun. It's fast moving. It definitely harkens back to things like Attack on Titan mm-hmm. and Giant and even Ogre to some extent, where you've got a bunch of little things speaking on the one big thing. But yeah, it's fun. It's well put together. I have not played it much, but I would like to play it more, as yeah. I so often say. And that was Skullcalo, which is cute. Skullcalo, yes. Adventure Tactics uh, 2021 Nicholas U. Letterman Games. I've talked about this before, obviously. And this is an actual boss battler. Real honest to gosh. (laughs) Actual boss battler. You fight a number of bosses, about 10 to 12, in a campaign that runs about 15 hours. So none of this hundred hour (laughs) crap. And it's garbage. (laughs) And has some branching. worth our time. And has some branching so you can. Oh, uh, I'm back in. (laughs) I love a branching storyline. Yeah, really. And will become even more branching when the expansion comes out. Mm-hmm. But this is also a deck builder. So it's got all of my like feels pretty much going there. Mm-hmm. And you fight through and you kill bosses. Every encounter has its own boss deck. Check that Kingdom Death <laughs> boss <laughs> battler proper uh, thing. The bosses, well, there's only the basic mechanics. You slap the bosses around. And then they do whatever their custom deck does and they slap you around. The charm of the game is, of course, that the upgrade system involves you adding cards to your deck, and you can do this weird multi-classing, branching, getting new cards based on your branching classes with specialized classes. There's a whole book that tells you how to upgrade, although it's mostly just, okay, I want to do this, and here's what the things you get. So it's a lot of A, B, C, D, E, ooh, I want that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, you've talked about this one before. I've been looking to pick up a copy. I haven't gotten it yet, but it sounds like something I would enjoy. Yeah, if Card Hunter ever appealed to you, and if it the it's the Flash now Steam game that's mm-hmm. for free, and if it doesn't appeal to you, you should look at it. It's such a good game, Card Hunter. And uh, as well, Adventure Tactics. Adventure Tactics, Domian's Tower. Speaking of towers, one of the big new hotnesses that's just starting to arrive in people's houses at the moment, but not mine yet. <laughs> and not mine, so... You're not bitter, though. No, not at all. Is Return to Dark Tower, which is 
inexplicably technically a 2021 release designed by Isaac Childress, Noah Cohen, Rob Davio, Justin Jacobson, and Brian Neff. Obviously, you got some big hitters on there. We got Rob Davio again, Isaac Childress of Gloomhaven fame. This is from Restoration Games. Those of you who have been with us since episode two or three, when we did our Batteries Included episode, will recall us talking about the original Dark Tower, which was an enormous nostalgia hit for those of us from that period. It was not a very good game, but boy, did it look cool. This one is actually a game, and it's a pretty good one. Again, you have a big, enormous electronic tower in the middle. We've only played it so far in the cooperative mode. There is a competitive mode, which harkens back to the original game. But basically, at the beginning of the game, you pick what evil thing is residing in the tower. And there's probably like 10 to choose from, I think. Quite a lot, yeah. Uh, And it's almost certainly the kind of thing you can add more to in later expansions. And also you get to pick an ally that's going to be helping you out with it. And basically that determines what happens in various random events. We played a game last night where we were fighting against the lingering rot, I think it was called, which is this sort of fungal undead thing that keeps throwing out spore tokens at the players. And if you get enough of those, you get corruption. And if you get enough corruption, you die. It's an interesting game because you're mostly running around between various buildings, building up resources and going through fights. And the main lose condition is if you get what's called corruption. And basically, most of the things that you have to deal with in the game are lose a certain number of warriors, lose a treasure, lose spirit, which is one of your other commodities. And if you ever have to lose a thing and can't, you gain a corruption. And if any single character gets a third corruption, you lose. So it's really a question of building up and having the resources survive what's being thrown at you. And depending on what kind of creatures you're fighting against, what kind of boss you're fighting against, that resource economy is going to change a lot. So there was a lot of times, like in the first, you know, base scenario we did, the solution to the boss was basically to get a whole bunch of warriors and just throw them all at it, and eventually they die and you win. And the one we played last night, you didn't really need the warriors in the final fight. You're taking damage or losing things based on how many spore tokens you have. And when you're fighting the boss, a lot of times it's, All players lose X thing based on how many spore tokens you have. So if you just have one person that you've given all your resources to and they go and fight in the tower, everybody else is not going to be able to lose the necessary things. There's a lot of variety between the different bosses and the combinations. I would have a hard time recommending that someone that doesn't have at least a little of the nostalgia factor pay the price tag in the game because it's an expensive game. The tower is a very impressive piece of engineering. You drop these little skulls into it, and periodically they will dump out onto your lands and make your life miserable. It has lights that will show different symbols. Whoever that symbol is facing has a harder time taking certain actions. It's very well put together. It's a good game. I don't think it's a great game unless you also have the sort of the nostalgia element in there. But certainly if you can find someone who has a copy, it's definitely worth playing and seeing if you like it. Oh, I think it's a great game. I mean, it's pretty restrained in terms of its scope. It's not a elaborate story campaign game, Mm -hmm. but no, it's nicely produced. It changes things up. The whole feel of how it does things is unique since you're basically spending all your time fighting fires and trying to keep <laughs> enough resources mm-hmm. when you fight something. Or throwing your warriors into a fire to cross a river. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the the mechanisms it uses are actually kind of unusual and quite clever. Its combat mechanism isn't based on rolling dice and hitting mm. and taking damage. It's based on surviving the fight. Yeah. We should probably talk a little more about that. Basically, the way it works is when you're fighting a creature, depending on what level creature is, and basically at the start of the game, you pick like a level two, level three, level four creature you're going to fight. You basically choose that many of the monster's cards from a random deck. 
So you pick, all right, I'm finding a Shadow Wolf. I draw two of its cards. And for each of those cards in turn, it says you lose 20 warriors. And then you have a certain number of what are called advantages, which are basically you're good at fighting certain types of things. You might have undead advantages or beast advantages or stealth advantages, depending on how the fight is. And you can spend those advantages to mitigate the effects of the cards coming up against you. So if you have a limited number, you're like, well... That's pretty bad. I can lose those warriors. Maybe I save my advantage because the next card might be worse. And it is a certain amount of juggling, you know, how you want to spend your limited resources. And if you can mitigate a card enough, a lot of times you'll gain things out of it instead. It is definitely a very interesting combat mechanic. Like I said, I don't have my copy yet. I've played it twice with the people around this table who are lucky enough to already have theirs. It's certainly interesting. I'm looking forward to playing it again. I don't know that it'll be a perennial on the table, but it's a good game for sure. I think Joe said it best last night that the ipad integration into the game takes a lot of what would otherwise be card mechanics Mm -hmm. and automates them so like the ipad component does a really good job of making it feel a lot less fiddly than it actually is yeah because if you were to do that with components this game would be an utter nightmare Mm -hmm. but i think it's largely impossible to do With physical components. Lots of pieces there. Even among the characters that we fought yesterday. So we had the Shadow Wolves. Mm -hmm. And Joe, I think you recognize this too. But there Mm -hmm. are certain cards there that you could recognize. So like, you are very action limited in this game. So when you fight, you fight one thing. Mm -hmm. And that is the entirety of your turn. But the Wolves had one card that's like, when you can get it down to a point where it also removes another wolf from the board, which felt really useful Mm -hmm. made it feel worth it really yeah and it's like you could tell which card that was going to be once you reveal it yeah yeah and i guess maybe i don't mean impossible i mean the level of fiddliness would be nearly infinite right yeah Mm -hmm. all the enemies have three levels of decks Mm -hmm. five levels actually Three levels of difficulty, right? Yeah. Based on whether they're they're normal level or savage or lethal. Yeah. And then when you draw cards, you draw a certain number of cards, and then you can use advantages to downshift each of those cards. So, like, I think the only way they could really implement it if they did it physically would be like card groups. I don't even know how they would yeah. implement it. The way I actually think that works is that each card for a each card has five different levels, mm-hmm. and when you're normal, you start at level three. And can dial down. Yep. When you're savage, you're starts you start four. at level four. Yeah. And when you're lethal, you start at level yeah. five. I mean, the way you would have to handle it, you'd have to handle it'd be like a paragraph book or something. Mm-hmm. Like, or a card with five big sections. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Giant but of course, the, the one of the thing about this one is that when you're on the app, you don't know what's gonna happen I when know. you take it down the next level. Which yeah, you'd lose. Like doing that is hard. Like I think yeah. is I think and it's the thing that something. would be yeah. very difficult, if not insanely fiddly to do it in, in yep. real yeah. life. The other thing that's really neat is that each month, you know, which is a set of game turns. There are some quests that are going to pop up on the board, and some of them are like, if you finish this quest, you get an advantage or you get a new ally. If you finish this quest, the boss doesn't get worse. Yeah. And like, (laughs) if you don't finish that quest, then there are suddenly like new cards that are being shuffled into the monster decks to make your life miserable in different ways. It's very interesting, and there's so much potential to modify and tweak and add things from the app-driven part, because there are no physical monster cards. There's a lot of room for that to evolve. Yeah, and you think on top of that, you also have to, if you were doing it physically, Mm -hmm. you have to somehow generate events. You right. have to somehow decide yeah. how long the months are going to be. You mm-hmm. have to decide when the allies trigger and what they do. It's like, yep. oh my exactly. gosh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, as you gain allies during the game, we played with the expansion last night called Alliances, which oh, cool. has a bunch of different people that you can add on by recruiting different groups to your cause. And the more of them you have recruited, the more, you know, at the end of a month, 
oh, hey, your Pegasus gives you the opportunity to fly to any space on the board. I don't want to undersell it because it's a very impressive feat of engineering. It's a beautifully designed game. The components are fantastic. And I look forward to seeing where it evolves. I look forward to getting my copy. Yeah. I think a friend of the show, John, said it best was, oh, that was a good game. Yeah. Right. He was not super duper impressed. I mean, like the play experience is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think parts of it verge on great, but like I think the sum total is somewhere between good and great in terms of where it is right now. Yes, he's also a little too old to have the full power of that nostalgia. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. he doesn't have the nostalgia level, right? Which, you know, I think Mm -hmm. his viewpoint was interesting, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, so I introduced it to some new players that had never even played the original Mm -hmm. or even heard of it. Mm -hmm. And so after we played it, they had a good time we lost. Right. (laughs) They had a good time despite that. And after the game ended, I went to YouTube and I pulled up a gameplay thing of the original Dark Tower. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I forgot completely that there's like a whole food mechanic in the original game where you have to oh, feed your God. troops. Like, oh, that sounds awful. Yeah. And like how everything you do, you're like punch it into the tower, resolve, punch it into the tower again, resolve. Uh-huh. Okay. Try and haggle. Oh, Although I do love that the haggle is the same yeah, thing. Totally. Oh, yeah. There's, there's definitely so a number happy. of callbacks there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the most important is when you turn it on, it goes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, was, that made me unreasonably happy the first time we turned that tower on. So that was Return to Dark Tower by Restoration Games. In terms of some more newness, there's Tiny Epic Dungeons 2022 by Scott Alms and Gamelin Games. This is a little, very little, tiny box with a dungeon crawl. Is it both tiny and epic? It is tiny and, in fact, epic, yes. And it's an hour and a half. It's a decently long game. Basically, you explore a dungeon. You have minions that are going to try to wreck you goblins. That's pretty basic. I mean, you turn up dungeon tiles. You're limited by a 7 by 7 grid. You place them and you have to find so many different elements and kill so many minions before the boss phase happens. And of course, find keys that you get from midi bosses that are just big goblins that aren't particularly special. They're just different cards that you fight with the same kind of mechanics. The mechanics here are roll a die, do damage. Their defense subtracts. The overage is damage. The boss, though, once you finally get the boss key that opens the boss door, thank you, (laughs) Zelda, you do have a timer that basically, an event timer torches that determines how much time you can spend in the first phase. And there are things you can do to help reset your torches, like killing the midi bosses, mini bosses, whatever. Once you open the boss door, you reset your torch one last time and start the boss fight. Each boss has their own room. And that represents the boss room that you actually have to go into. The weird part there is the first thing the boss does is come out and you have to lead him through the dungeon to these certain spell points and then attack him to do damage on those spell points. Once he's on those spell points, he can then be damaged on each of his health tracks times the number of players. So he'll have like four health counters. Okay. And there's limits to how far you can push those health counters. So a lot of the first phase is exploring. So you find those spell points so you can lead them there. First point is to find the keys. Mm -hmm. Then you've hopefully found the spell points. You can still have the deck open if you've really screwed up. (laughs) Missing part of the deck and haven't seen those little spell points where you can start removing the boss's shields. But then you're often having to go back to his room to continue to fight him. Because once he's completely damaged, he'll head back to his room. The room has several spaces. And when you're on a certain space, it'll change how you attack him. Hmm. It's a linear path into the room, and you're kind of jumping past each other to stand on those spaces and 
bump your stats for roles, some of which are kind of required <coughs> to be able to get through a boss's defense. And we'll, of course, because the back of that boss card and boss room is different for each boss, they are different. So yeah, it's a weird shift of a mechanic where suddenly the monster moves and you're having to lead him toward the thing and then go back to his classic Zelda boss room. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything with phases or anything utterly fancy. You murder all the things, get the keys, open the door, ah, run out of the door and lead them to these spell points. Hit him a couple times, run to the other spell point, hit him a couple times. He goes back to his room to sulk and then you come in and start punching him in different locations. It, it does yeah. have a very video game feel to <laughs> yes. it. You know? Yeah. Just with fighting the boss around. Totally, yeah. Of all the Tiny Epic series, like I've enjoyed every one that I've played. I've never had like a bad experience with one. So they are a solid set of games. This one, actually, I thought it was better than the Tiny Epic Adventure Quest. I can't remember what that's called. Probably 2017's Tiny Epic Quest. This is actually better and more thinky Hmm. and has a better sense of leveling up and getting items. You don't actually level up, but you do get items and equip your character nicely. Tiny Epic Dungeon. A brawl is surely brewing. Now go! So, obviously, the next game we're going to talk about is Cuphead, the fast-rolling dice game. And I apologize to everyone who was just triggered by that. (laughs) (laughs) Designed by Patrick Marino, published by the OP, released in 2021. And much like the video game Cuphead, it's functionally composed of a couple of side-scrolling things, but mostly it's boss battlers, right? That's, like, kind of the core feature of the video game itself. And in Cuphead, the fast-rolling dice game, all you're doing is fighting those bosses, right? That's the entire design of the game. The boss will have a couple different phases and you'll lay his specific cards out on the tableau and then you'll pick an amount of time you want to have to roll dice between 20 and 10 seconds (laughs) to try to match dice to the cards in tableau. So the tableau might have, hey, this tableau requires you to jump and the next card in the tableau might require you to duck and the third one required to shoot and then also move. You then have to roll dice until you match all those symbols and mark them on your individual sheet. You have to go card by card. Once you lock a card in, you can't add dice back to it. And the spaces where a boss doesn't have two things on his card is where you can choose to also do damage to him. Because your goal of the game is to shoot the boss a bunch so he is defeated while not getting defeated yourself. Right? If you have a dice that doesn't match, you take a damage and you will be taking lots of damage in this game. You have a couple of hit points and if you run out, your friends can use some resources you gather during the course of the game to help you not die. But it is a intentionally highly stressful game as you're desperately trying to roll, right? It's like on your turn, right? Once the timer starts, you just roll as many dice as you want. Any dice that's not locked, you re-roll them. You can't store dice or anything like that. You re-roll all the dice you have that are open Dice that are on your tablet, you don't re-roll them, they're locked in place, but everything else, you gotta roll it, see what you get. Do you cycle through the same boss several times? <laughs> you um, can, if you want to. to you can certainly points. fight each boss. So the game comes with, I think, 12 boxes that each okay. have different mechanics. I've actually, you know, as we've been playing through, I've actually found the different mechanics each of the bosses have to be pretty cool. So, so I guess what I'm asking is, you have 10 to 20 seconds to collectively defeat this boss? No. You have 10 to 20 seconds to do a phase. Yeah. and Oh, uh, okay. So each, okay. A boss will have an amount of hit points you need to do to it to defeat that phase. Okay. And once you defeat that phase, you'll move on to the next phase. Most bosses have a couple of phases with a certain amount of hit points and have a certain set of cards for that phase. One question that comes to mind is, 
Why would you choose 10 seconds when you can choose 20? You get more coins at the end, I think. It's more. So uh, okay. you get a better score, right? <laughs> so the game, so in Cuphead, right, they had a ranking system for how well you did between S and F rank. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get S rank, you have to do the but shorter time second. period because you get a multiplier on your score based on the rank that you did. And you calculate, it's like the number of hit points that are remaining on the table and the amount of time it took you and a bunch of other factors. And it's like, this is your score. Your score is a, a 45 and that's a C. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, arguably, I kind of don't like that mechanic because it is just a, what if this game were harder to get a score multiplier? Which like in any other game. I would argue that that mechanic is just not for you. Well, sure. But in any other game, we as a group, I think, would never say, hey, let's play this game on hard because we'll get a better score. Like, we just wouldn't yeah, do I mean, that. But there are games for us who are not score that. motivated. Sure. For other people, they definitely are. Yeah. No, I mean, I could definitely see a kind of group who is like really excited to go through and get the best score on all these bosses. Mm-hmm. That's not us. <laughs> yep. Right. Definitely not for us. I'm not arguing that. But I could definitely see a group to to just be totally ageist. Like, it seems like a group of high schoolers who are like, oh, this wow. is our game. I often say that, like, there are many facets of board games that are designed for people who are in high school. I would argue the entirety of Kingdom Death is designed for someone who's in high school. But yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, they go to a lot of effort in this game to really emulate the Cuphead video game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's part of it is those rankings and, you know, getting a perfect ranking in the video game. That's there exactly because it's in the video game. Yeah. The entire thing of dodge, 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 ping, dodge, (laughs) dodge, 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 ping is how you fight a Cuphead boss Mm -hmm. in the video game. Cuphead the video game is a game that I love to watch someone competent play. <laughs> I will never play it myself because I I never had those reflexes and I certainly don't now. For those of you who haven't seen it, it is in this gorgeous sort of 1930s animation style. Hand drawn. Hand drawn. It's beautiful. It's got this amazing big band soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just beautifully put together, brutally hard. (laughs) The board game, or the dice game, I should say, is kind of like the video game in that I love the way it looks. I am glad that it exists in the universe. It is not for me. It is brutally hard, and it is yeah. it is definitely for a very specific audience. For sure. who know how to roll dice good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's never have I rolled a die more frequently in twenty seconds, not getting the single thing I needed <laughs> on the goddamn die, than in playing this game. That certainly never happens. <laughs> now, I will say, there's also a good sense of character progression as mm-hmm. you go yeah, through the yeah. game. And that might be a saving grace, because like with your starting cards, doing some of the bosses in 10 or 20 seconds just is not Can't going to happen. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it's definitely one of those things. Frank, Frank is now getting a look and says, well, I did it. You go through and then you come back to them, I think, for I think play through. It's not going to happen is the wrong way to put it. I think is unlikely to happen. Like as you get more equipment, you get the ability to either manipulate dice or to do damage in different or yep. better ways. And that makes you stronger, right? So that it mitigates the randomness. A hundred percent, you could beat the game with the base equipment and get S's on all of them. You just have to get exceptionally <laughs> lucky. It definitely could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Mathematically. It just probably right? won't. Nope. It yeah. just probably Highly won't. unlikely. Yeah, I will say it is a speed game mm-hmm. and I kind of like it and I and wanted to play more. But it pretty much landed on our table with the enthusiasm from the other players, like greeting a five-day-old addict. <laughs> <laughs> Just. <laughs> I 
really like it. I want to. We're in the middle of a different campaign game, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But um, <laughs> I'd love to stick it in between some of the random mm-hmm. campaign games we're doing to kind of finish it off. Yeah. We're, we got about halfway through it mm. in total. Yeah, so. I would try. I guess my question is dice mitigation, great. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of dice mitigation. But I mean, having to mitigate dice on a timer is like, uh, I rolled a thing. Do I, where's the side I need to change it to? Kind of thing. It seems like that would be just even more stressful. It's not. You haven't played it, I guess. No, yeah, I mitigation not. is not really the right. It's not really mitigation. It's that matches. Oh, there. okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's more like dice placement. Yeah. Okay. It's like defense from the fact that you rolled bad, but it's not mitigation is the wrong word because it's okay. not like you're manipulating the dice. Okay. It's like after you've manipulated all the dice, you also have a separate set of things, right? Because like the game is yeah. 20 seconds of placing dice and then a couple minutes of like resolving, resolving. the dice that you place. And okay. almost all the mitigation happens yeah. during that. Phase. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's... I withdraw the objection. It's still speed dice placement. And sure. again, yes. five-day-old haddock was... <laughs> I get I it. I mean, like, not for this everybody. Game is not yeah. for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so funny because, like, you start developing strategies. Like, how can I roll these dice faster and have them, like, roll <laughs> yes. around less... Physically. Less, how can uh, I physically <laughs> roll them faster? <laughs> so good. Yeah, and then they start screwing with dice icons. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> now I, I have, have to, to do brain things. My dice? Yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. Oh, mm-mm. Now jump is up and the other one is down. So the card has up and down, but you got to remember that your dice have <laughs> jump and it's duck. It's so mean. It's, it's so the mean. most mean. It's a great game. Like <laughs> The game is very clever and the game knows what it is and leans into it oh, yeah. hard yep. in a way that you can tell the designer had a bunch of fun designing it, mm. like 100%. Oh, yeah. that video game reference that reverses your controls is always total <laughs> BS. <laughs> and the graphics in the board game are gorgeous. I mean, oh, yeah. Even, oh, yeah. They did a good even job. the box art kind of evokes the early days of board games. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. This is a USopoly or whatever yeah. they're calling yeah. themselves. Yeah. D-O-P. The oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was really shocked. Like, they nailed the art style. Like, oh, it, yeah. it feels like a product that matches that game really, really well, which yeah. is I mean, not what I expected from that. I feel like you're setting that bar pretty low, though. Because, yeah. like, if you're going to make a game about Cuphead, you've got all of the art assets But those like, were new art ready assets. to go. They didn't reuse anything from the games. Like, those were redrawn. Those were Did new. They? Yeah, they were new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Huh. Like, granted, they're not super complex or detailed, yeah. but, like, I've seen IP-based games totally go wrong. screw that up. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. I was very surprised when the OP was the one who released this game. Because, like, this feels a lot like a labor of love. Mm -hmm. And they are not a company that often releases labors of love (laughs) just as a company, right? That's just not not what they do. Maybe they've turned over a new league. For sure, this game is a labor of love. And you can definitely feel it both in the design and in the art, like, all facets of it. It was also kind of cool to see uh, finally a 1930s-themed game that's a boss battler. Because you never see 1930s-themed games ever. Yeah, (laughs) weird. This is what is known in the podcast business as foreshadowing. Untapped markets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, that was Cuphead, the fast rolling dice game. Yep. So, Jason, Mm -hmm. you're standing on the train and off the distance, you see a broken down city. The vines lay about and the city seems totally abandoned and there are cars strewn about. Do you A, listen to the wind as it whistles through the leaves? B... Think about all the people who are missing from the city. Or C, sit back and relax, having nothing to do. I feel like I'm going to think about the missing people, because everything's horrible in this world. Okay, cool. The next fight, you lose to humanity. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about Vagrant Song, released in 2022, designed by Patrick Carter, Justin Gibbs, and Kyle Rowan, and published by Weird Miniatures. 
Weird is a very fascinating company. They've done a lot of fascinating things that I have enjoyed and not enjoyed in equal measure. I don't think that Vagrant Song is any different from that. (laughs) In Vagrant Song, you're on a train and it's the 1930s. Or a ghost train. You're on a ghost train and there's a bunch of ghosts. They're Hanks. They're Hanks. Yes, it leans heavily into hobo language. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And you're trying to save all of these Hanks. And the way you save Hanks is you give the Hanks humanity. And the way you heal your friends is you give your friends humanity. So the game is very specifically designed so that giving humanity is always good and losing humanity is always bad, both for you as players Mm -hmm. and for the Haints as well. The game has an amazing aesthetic. It has these like insanely gorgeous acrylic painted figures for all both the heroes and the bad guys and they are utterly gorgeous they're like standees they're, yes. standees. they're not 3d yeah. they're not right. they're, they're standees done in clear plastic with the image imposed on Almost that like clear pa- screen yeah. 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 yeah yeah and they are they are super pretty gorgeous 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 and done in this kind of 1930s cartoon aesthetic mm-hmm. yes. that they have a beautiful aesthetic yeah. beautiful beautiful aesthetic And the game is, you know, kind of your standard boss battler. On your turn, you have a specific amount of resources, which are coins in this case. And you assign coins to either, you have a generic set of four actions on your character card. And then you'll also have an array on the left and right of some additional cards that you can put coins on. The way each of the additional cards work is you activate them once and then you can't activate them next turn. So you can't use the same card over and over, except for one card Mike has that seems a little broken. But we'll talk about that one later. (laughs) I have thoughts and opinions on this game but i'm gonna let joe continue to gush for a little bit and so you place your coins and then you take your actions right be moving might be investigating might be searching through the bindle rummaging as they call it to find additional items and then once you're done with your turn you draw a token for the hint and apply its effects right it's out of the same resource group so the bindle that you get resources off of they're like nails and for those who live Salt in the 21st century, can you define a bindle? A bindle is a bag. Mm. Bag on a stick. If you've seen a picture of a hobo with that red, yeah, yeah. white, checkered bag hanging on a stick, that's a bindle. That's a bindle. Yeah, and so the game very, <laughs> very hard leans into kind of the hobo language and it has mm-hmm. a lot of hobo aesthetics. So in that sense, you're drawing tokens from a bag. Yeah, you're drawing tokens from a bag and it's the same bag you draw enemy tokens from. Mm-hmm. So it provides this interesting mechanic. Mechanic's a strong word, maybe. Where, like, you might draw out an apple, for example, and you're like, oh, cool, I'm going to keep this apple because it's really good for our players. But also, hey, the Haints apple action is really weak. So maybe I want to use this apple real quick, get it back in there so he might draw it. Whereas, like, oh, man, his nails thing is really strong. So maybe I want to hold on to this nail, though the only purpose of nails is you throw them at the enemy and do some damage. (laughs) Somehow you give them humanity by throwing nails at their faces. Dang right. I think the game has many flaws. The rules are written like rules by non-board gamers, which that is what weird is, right? Like you can feel the the rules are that certain level of confusing. But like the setting is amazing. I found all the boss battles to be interesting and fun and they're always doing new and surprising things, right? The first time where you're like, hey, what's this enemy's humanity break level? Oh, there isn't one. You're like, <laughs> yeah. wait, what? And it was real bad. (laughs) Didn't go good. (laughs) There's one actually really clever thing it does in all the boss fights. Each fight has these three rituals. Oh, yeah. And you do a lot of damage mm, or something to a boss by completing one of these rituals. And they're tasks, you know, throw five nails into the boss or things that don't make any sense. They're not rules for. They show up in the text. They're also boss events. There are 10 events, up to 10 events tied to each boss. 
that will do things that let you learn while you're fighting. So it has that sense of exploration that you get in most dungeon crawls at the same time that you're fighting the boss. Mm -hmm. And so it integrates those really well in a way that none of the other boss battlers really do. Kingdom Death kind of goes for it, Mm -hmm. but this leans a little more heavily into that. And I think it's much better for it. Yeah, it has kind of the classic like Dark Souls. Let me parcel out Mm -hmm. information to you in these little snippets. While you're fighting. While you're fighting. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, which Kingdom Death wants to do, but doesn't quite get there. It's Mm. definitely trying. Yeah. And Dark Souls wants to do in some ways, but doesn't even quite get there because it's really item descriptions in Dark Souls. This is a campaign style, right? Yes. You have a sequence of bosses that you're getting through to finish the story. All right. I'm going to be the dissenting voice here because I kind of disagree on all points. This game is fine. My big problem with this game, and honestly, Joe, I'm a little shocked that you like this game, knowing what I know about your tastes in game, because... The theming is, while it looks really pretty, it is the same three boxcars, and it is the same terrain, and it is the same, like, all of the events are numbered tokens. Like, hey, look, there's zero over there on the board. Well, I have no idea what zero is. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I'm going to go find out. And oh, look, something happened. No, I mean, it was totally random. To be clear, I like this game in the same way that I like Kingdom Death in that it is a flawed game that has several flashes of brilliance in it. And that's good enough. Yeah, like it just does not do it for me. Like, yes, it's pretty. I'll give it that. But like even the stories are completely random. And that was kind of the joke that you made at the top there where it's like, one of them was literally, you gaze out at the, the horizon, and it's like, uh, okay, I guess I look at the corn. Oh, well, you suffer to humanity because that corn reminds you of your mother who is now dead. Or <laughs> I'm just like, uh, okay, cool, I guess. I'll just suffer to humanity. Yeah, those choices like, are weird. <laughs> mechanically, it's fine. Like, it works. Again, I don't know, because all of the enemies are drawing that token out of the bag, in each of those tokens, they do play out differently. And all of the enemies have like two sides that they flip between or don't flip between depending on the specific enemy. But it feels like I'm doing the same things in each boss. And then there are just those head scratching moments. Like why does throwing nails at a ghost remind of it, of its humanity? That's weird. Uh, the game actually does approach that. Sometimes yeah. you just have to slap the crap out of them. With nails. Or punch the crap out of them. <laughs> it, like, it, yeah. It, I get that. But I don't know. Just something about it. Just, you're making it feel eh. something. <laughs> and like, Finally, again. I think the <laughs> biggest thing that gets me is that the character progression as far as what I can do mechanically is almost non-existent. Maybe that's just because of the character that I've been playing. Like, first, I tried the character with the dog, which is an utter trap and just is absolute an issue Stay all away from its the own. Dog. Yeah, if you're playing this, do not take the adorable cute dog. It's trash. Like, actively. I almost bad. want to take that character now. Just to <laughs> Prove him wrong. My Prove death. him wrong, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> so, to, to be clear, right, Jason, when we first played this game, we played it at an AFK. And Jason played the dog. And I came out with the game saying, I think I like this game. And Jason came out with, I think I don't like this game. <laughs> and then he played the character, not the dog. And he's like, oh, I think I like yeah, this game now. <laughs> but like, even the character that I'm playing after that, the songsmith, like I've been using that ability from the beginning of the game. Yeah. And none of the things that it has given me have even come close to being 
anywhere near as useful or good. Yeah, agreed. To be clear, right, like if you compare this to like Kingdom Death as a boss battler, it is not the kind of boss battler where you should be concerned with making your character stronger, leveling them up, getting them new equipment. The game almost doesn't care about that at all. It cares about that, you know, just this tiny, tiny amount, right? You sometimes get new abilities. You might swap in, you might not. But if you don't, it's fine. But then what does the game concern itself with? Because all of the events in the bosses are random. All of the decisions you're making between the bosses are random. No, no, the events, no, the events are tied to the boss. They're specifically keyed to the boss. Yes, it, it's a zero... But it's a zero referring to a specific story paragraph written for that boss. Well, sure. Placed in a specific yes, location. But there is, there is no way, like, when it ha- says during setup, put these numbered tokens on these specific spots and they do these specific moments that are written for that boss. But when I place my character on that board, I have no idea which numbers are good, which numbers are bad, or yeah. even what they do. So it it feels to me a lot like an experience that Arabian Nights has, where you're there for the journey and some random shit's going to happen to you, and then you go to the next one. I mean, it's 100% a game of exploration. Like, it is a game. It's it's a game that's primary motivation is exploration. No, I just, like, for whatever reason, it's storytelling does not entice me as much as other games in a similar genre, I think. And that's, I get it, a totally personal preference, but I just like, this game has not fired on almost any cylinder for me. It's fine. I'll then suggest Adventure Tactics is totally your thing. Yeah. Well, like, sure, I'm willing to try them. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying playing it. Like, the mechanics are solid. The bosses do interesting things. Like, I think the bosses are the best part of the game. Oh, yeah. But it's all that connective tissue in between that it's like, we could very easily just pick a boss and play it. I'm not getting any of the campaign stuff. It winds all the campaign stuff into the battles, which is actually something I like. Mm -hmm. It's not the (laughs) 20 pages of story between your actual encounters and Touching Remy's shoulder. (laughs) And that's actually something that's really interesting is because the structure of the campaign is broken into three acts. I think I'd actually like this a lot better if those were individual campaigns and not one. Yeah, good point. Because, yeah, the whole long game, shorter games is kind of a thing that should be. And the end of each of those acts, all of the things that you fought before come back in some way. And that's really cool. Yeah, maybe. I like that. Yeah. I would agree that in general, the connective tissue is not there. And I would actually argue intentionally not there. I don't think it's a bug. I think it's a feature. I think it's supposed to be almost dreamlike and confusing for you because it's trying to make you feel like the character who's going through this experience. Because again, it's a game about exploration and it's an exploration that also doesn't make any sense, right? Like you're on a ghost train wandering around trying to get out but are we yeah and 100%. also there's a cat there <laughs> the devil for cat. reasons like it, that's talking and yeah i don't know yeah like it just things are happening around my character and i feel like that makes for lousy storytelling and you know it's but, you know that i think the story is just kind of hey here's the world and and again i think it'd be fine in smaller bites. So you're not going to play ether fields. Trust me. <laughs> okay. It's just, oh, it's what the hell? 
Mm. Although, admittedly, there is an incredible story behind the first campaign. And possibly the second campaign, we'll see. (laughs) But it's told you in very tiny fragments that don't quite connect. And they just kind of hint and dance around it. You mean kind of like they do in Sentinels of the Multiverse with all the bits of story text? But there's a difference because, like, that kind of writing (laughs) can be really good. Because, like, Dark Souls is a perfect example of here is some implied story. Yeah. But, and I think I said this when I was playing through Kentucky Route Zero I need some connectivity to my implied story and I need a set of concreteness. I think. Yeah, and I think that's your problem. Is and it is just <laughs> what I mean is this is just a you problem in that like the storytelling is really good. It's just like there is a underlying like unreality that you find personally distasteful. It's a style that yeah. doesn't and work I for find you. personally fascinating because like with Sentinels and Dark Souls, you can take all those tidbits of story and piece them together like a puzzle mm-hmm. to make a story. I don't feel like I could do that with Vagrant Song. Why are we fighting this gremlin with a light on his head? Because we want to get to the front of the train. Why do we want to get to the front of the train? Because the back sucks. <laughs> why does the back suck? I don't know. Why is, why is the front any different than the back? Why do we keep going forward when every well, train I mean, car is okay, full of clear, awfulness? Mike. Let's be clear, Mike. We are and have always been in limbo. So like, why do you travel at all in limbo? Because we're traveling. Like, that's the thing. This is a narrative that is about you travel because you have to travel, not not because... And the game doesn't give a shit about giving you the motivation. It has to be in you. You have yeah, to provide the I motivation. I just, like... I'm going to put a little dissenting voice onto anybody That's who's looking at Vagrant yeah. Song because, like, it's not for everyone. It is. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem yeah. with saying that. I think it's totally reasonable. I think the game has actual flashes of brilliance. Mm-hmm. Honestly, and I know Mike hates this mechanic. <laughs> I effing love the in between cards because they're so yes. dreamlike and so weird. And it's just you're you're kind of experiencing the unreality that these characters are experiencing, right? Like it has some like weird role play bits to it mm-hmm. that I agree with Mike. In some ways, the role play bits don't tie to anything else. And so I can totally buy like feeling a little disconnected from those two. But like I think in some ways, like I said before, that's a feature, not a bug, right? You were supposed to feel a little disconnected. Because frankly, your characters are going through a situation that doesn't make any sense, right? And tr- you're you're trying to make sense of it in the same way that your characters are trying to make sense of it. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, I think that's part of the intentional design of the game. Yeah. Whether that works for you or not, totally different yeah. discussion. Yeah. And if it doesn't work for you, cool, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I just, I want a little bit more out of my adventure slash campaign slash boss battler game. Sure, you want a little bit more concreteness and that's fine. No, no, just more. Like, mm-hmm. this is, it's a very light game. Like, your characters have four powers. Go. And again, the powers you start with are not going to be... Sure, no, I get it, I get it. ...replaced by things that I get you it. get no, in the future, I get it. You except want in more character advancement. Cases. And like I said, this game, like, if, if you, like, I want to get this boss battler, I want another kingdom death. This is not another kingdom death. This is not, consi- this game does not care about character advancement. This game does not care about a lot of that. You're not building a deck. Right? Like, mm-hmm. There is, 
it has some, it has a little bit, but it's very, very light. It's very yeah, painted on. Really, the core of the game would be tactical positioning and yep. using those yep. bindle bag items. Yep. And that's the, and sometimes, you know, sometimes actually choosing which action is preferable over another is kind of hard. A lot of cases like the Songsmith, you want to spam that one action as much <laughs> as possible because it's <laughs> awesome. And you can only do it every other turn. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you can actually get to it and spam it every other turn. That is one thing. You can only use those actions once in a row. If you use it, you can't use it next turn. And there's some tricky balance things going there. But, I mean, like, for sure, this is not like a Kingdom Death where you are building a city, building up your characters, making them more powerful. There is some buildup, but frankly, the game is almost, almost unconcerned with it. It's like Mm -hmm. it gave it to you because you kind of expect it. But frankly... If they would have just had just a set of four cards and a, a set of mm-hmm. items that you could choose from, that would have been functionally equivalent. But I, don't I think know. it has some of the feel of Kingdom Death with those inner, you know, shopping and everything, feeling a bit like a much lighter version of the Kingdom Death without the, you know, if I'd stood one space to the left, we'd all still be alive. Which is <laughs> <laughs> Kingdom Death's forte. Yeah. <laughs> I can't agree with that, though, because it's a grid-based movement, So, and it's only in the cardinal direction, so no diagonals. So it's like being one step to the left for most doesn't, things doesn't, doesn't really matter. doesn't matter in Vagrant Song. In Kingdom Death, yes, sure, that can be sure. the difference between life and death. Yeah, I, yeah. There, are, there are some monster abilities that are just everyone who can hear. Like, mm-hmm. it just doesn't matter where you are. Oh, it doesn't totally. matter what you do. But yeah. there's a lot of, you know, who it goes for. Yeah. Which direction it's going to go. Yeah. Is actually, I mean, boss battlers do have the kind of nearest person. Yeah. And, you know, Gloomhaven, the mm-hmm. nearest person you learn, mm-hmm. very first room. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If you just rush forward, they're going to slaughter you. <laughs> and there are many times in Vagrant Song where all the enemy does is, we'll go back and forth over a character until that <laughs> character drops dead. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that yeah, that my job in this there. game. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't think we're going to change anybody's opinion on this one, but I'm I'm glad we had the discussion. It probably won't be the full half hour in the final episode. Yeah. <laughs> really? Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> we just want to finish off with saying Jason got the expansion and we got to play it. So everyone who did <laughs> suck it. It's apparently impossible to find. I did have to wait in line at the early in the morning at Gen there's a bonus scenario. There's a bonus oh, scenario. Okay. And, oh, I've got it And the, the internet is angry <laughs> about people who have it because there's not a ton of them. Well, yeah. So what happened is they had a promotion where if you bought it between this date and this date, you would get the bonus scenario. And that date passed without people being able to purchase it. So they got yeah. real upset about yeah, it. Yeah, this game was a lot bigger <laughs> success than Weird anticipated. But also... That bonus scenario replaced a scenario that was implemented in like the dumbest way possible because if we had played it rules as written, we just would have totally missed out on some really like important or no, one of the really rare character development moments. So it's just like we just kind of ignored that and did our own thing, which again, Hmm. is just a very weird decision. Get it? Because it's made by weird. Yeah, see, it's different. Ah, ah. Yeah. So uh, thanks, everybody, for surviving that conversation and uh, listening through the episode with us. So that was Vagrant Song by Weird Miniatures. Thank you, Joe. And that is our look at boss battlers. We know there are more coming. I know several of us are really excited and looking forward to Oathsworn Into the Deepwood. Oh, crap. The uh, There's a bunch more, and I can't think of Primal. Ants, Ants, and Trespass. <laughs> That's a boss battler. 
Yeah, Aeon's in Trespass. The flow of games never stops. Hopefully you folks at least got some useful tips or ideas out of this. If there are ones that you think we should talk about or be aware of, do please let us know. Do all the usual internet stuff like follow, subscribe. Reviews on iTunes are great. And come visit us at boardgames.com. Come visit us on Facebook. And we'll talk to you again next month. Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin McLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. Future Brian hates us.